0: Episode 7, Candy Asses, is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here to break down the penultimate episode of Barry Season 3. This is Season 3, Episode 7, but I suppose in this case, it's Mike and Deidra need a podcast, Mad Nap. And I'm so happy to be talking with someone who probably does need a nap at this point, considering how many time zones she has been traveling between over the past week or so. So excited to welcome back my co-host, Deidra Lipsicus. Deidra, how are you?
1: I'm doing phenomenal. I definitely would appreciate a mad nap. Um, I might, in fact, take one after this podcast is over. But um, I'm, I'm happy to be um, playing the role and putting on the mask of both Rob and Akiba today.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are very unique masks in many ways. Hopefully the beards unique are not too New itchy York on masks. you. There you go. We're bringing it back because Gene Cousineau is back, baby. He's teaching again, albeit to, you know, a bit of a staged classroom. But one of the many big events from this episode. I mean, tonally, we just talked about this before coming on. Very different episode of Barry. Definitely something a bit darker across the board. Uh, Unfortunately, very little humor to be found. Maybe the most is in the two scenes we get of Hank and just his ridiculous adventures in Bolivia. I'm excited to talk about that. But it does feel, I guess, wholly appropriate given the situations that a lot of our characters find themselves in going into this final half hour of Barry.
1: Yes. I mean, if if there was ever a time to set some chess pieces up, um, now would definitely be the time to do so with just one more episode left. And uh, this show really, as much as it loves doing things in episode five, the show really does love to throw a whole lot of action in the finale. And I definitely am hype for next week. I think we're going to get a bombastic finale.
0: Yeah, I mean, considering a lot of stuff that gets set up here, though, I have a lot of questions, obviously, about what comes next. I do feel like there's a world where the Sally storyline would have actually happened in episode eight, because... Like you said, the penultimate episodes of TV shows have kind of become the new finales, if we're being honest, in modern television. I think as far Mm -hmm. back as, like, The Wire and The Sopranos of, okay, it's actually not the finale where all the big shocking moments happen. It's actually the penultimate episode, and then the finale is a little bit of, like, falling action, resolving everything. And we got that certainly in season one, right, where Barry ends up killing Chris, and then he goes in and turns in this incredible performance in... The uh, the the scene with Sally in season two, we got it to a certain extent. This was the audition episode that had that fantastic Sarah Goldberg monologue. And then it just has that cliffhanger of Fuchs working with Gene and then pointing a gun at his head. I would say this is probably my least favorite out of those three penultimate episodes, but there is certainly some good stuff in here. There is some deep melancholy. There is some trippy, dream-esque sequences going on. So, you know, everything I like about modern TV is kind of represented in this episode of Barry.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was not a particularly funny episode of Barry, but it was still an excellent episode of television. I mean, I think, you know, this show really... um blurs the line between dark and comedy and sometimes we get episodes that are more comedy um like we've had in some of the even numbered episodes this season and some of the odd numbered episodes this season have been more of the dark side so um not quite you know the uh star wars style dark side but um we are getting you know a a darker side to this show darker side to barry certainly to sally
0: this episode Sure. So we shall see what happens to the dark side and the light side here. There's definitely not balance to the force here. I think the dark outweighs the light. So let's get mm, into it. One is light, one is dark. Yep, exactly. uh Though there are many players in this game, where should we start? Because I think it makes sense. This is a relatively siloed episode, as a lot of this season has been. That we can focus on characters. Is there a place you want to start? Would you want to start with Barry? Is there another character you're just dying to sink your teeth into?
1: Um, I think we should just start with the cold open and then go right into Barry. What do you think?
0: Yeah, because those two stories are linked a bit, right? Now, look, maybe it's a little bit of face blindness, uh, you know, when we open on a church service and we see this sad, bald guy standing there while everyone else is sitting down. I'm like... Is that Ryan Madison's father again? I've been I going. I fully to- had no idea who this man was at
1: first, despite the fact that we had already seen him this season. I definitely have a bit of face blindness, especially when it comes to uh, older white men. When the camera was like panning around to focus on him for a second, I thought Fuchs is in this church, and then <laughs> I realized it's a very different person from Stephen Root. But um, yeah, it it did not. Uh, I did not understand what this cold open was until I uh, got to him later in the episode, for sure. But um, yeah, Ryan Madison's father is just fully disassociating in church.
0: So that's a thing as well. I've taken the Deidre method. I've become an avowed, a devoter in that capacity and not watching the previously odd's maybe this would have helped in that case. Cause I know his face yeah. would have shown up when Fuchs had called all the, v- the vengeance Panthers uh, that clearly this was something that we knew he was going to do. And we'll talk about the journey of this particular vengeance Panther. It is a really interesting cold open and I don't know, maybe it's another face blindness thing. I feel like when they cut to the choir, a guy that kind of looks like Ryan Madison was a part of it. And so I didn't know, like, was he imagining his son in it uh is this just an odd daydream that like you said involves him disassociating with reality is this just like a random kid and an establishing shot of them being in a church but essentially i think the thematic thing to take out of all this is that he is taking a stand quite literally and that's going to at least move him forward to do what he does even if that's not the ultimate result
1: yeah, I will say watching this cold open, um, probably about 12 hours after I went to a one and a half hour long Catholic mass in French for my friend's wedding, um, where I don't speak French and I've never been to a Catholic mass before, uh, it hit hard to home because, um, I mean, I, I'm i not contemplating uh, murdering anyone. Um, And I did not lose anyone, uh, you know, super close in my life to murder. But um, I definitely spent a lot of time disassociating in church in recent days.
0: (laughs) Let me also just give a massive shout out to start here to Michael Boffshever. I apologize if I mispronounced your last name, who plays George Kremf, who I think, again, it's a little odd to see just like a completely dramatic character in Barry, a character that like is never played for humor at all either ironically or not uh but i think he does a really good job i mean we'll talk about it later but like his monologue to barry in the car jesus christ was heartbreaking
1: yeah um this was a real journey that papa madison has been on papa krempf i should say
0: I was going to say, Papa, I'm, yeah, unfortunately, we do remember that Ryan Madison, that is his stage name. I mean, listen, George Crimp obviously loved his son a lot, but I, I do wonder how much he knew about all the stuff that Ryan was doing, complete with changing his last name.
1: I mean, I feel like it's fairly common for people to completely just choose a new name for acting purposes. It could have been, like, his mom's maiden name. I, I can't remember if that name change was ever, like, fully um, explained in, you know... The first episode.
0: Yeah, in Ryan's one and only episode, he 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 was the one who got Barry to change his name to Barry Block, basically saying, like, you have to change your name. Maybe it was, like, just too many consonants against each other that they thought Kremf didn't necessarily work to a certain extent, but... I'm not entirely sure. Some anti-German bias, if you ask me. I mean, listen, uh, the Chechens had a lot of bias against him for many reasons. I don't know if keeping Kremf would have helped or not. Keeping Kremf sounds like some sort of bad reality show that airs on, like, USA.
1: I was going to say, it sounds like it could be one of the new um, Breaking Bad spinoffs that are spinning off from the spinoff of Better Call Saul,
0: Keeping Crump. Or perhaps a spinoff of uh, of New Medusas. We shall see if yes. there's a crump involved in there. So let- let's focus on the Barry stuff here for a second. So... I was definitely off of uh, poor Sharon. Not poor Sharon. She poisoned him. But I thought for some reason this was going to be like. This woman has no no torture bones no, in her body. No, not whatsoever. It's clear that uh, even Chris, who was definitely still pretty mild-mannered as Fuchs, will talk about later on, uh, you know, still is probably the most violent of the two as Sharon just like throws a dish towel over his face and leaves, assuming like. Oh, well, I thought it was a t- trench coat. I think it was like a or a blanket maybe it was some piece of fabric
1: to me it looked like she grabbed a fancy coat and then instead of putting it on threw it over his face where he's like foaming at the mouth and then runs away
0: yeah just hoping like he'll asphyxiate uh, and then she won't have to handle it I guess is this like a, a series wrap on Sharon do you imagine her coming back into the picture or do you think she just like got the hell out of Dodge
1: Um, I mean, I really, I guess, depends on how they wrap up the Vengeance Panther storyline. I think, you know, we do have the potential for all of them to come back in during this finale. But we also, I think, uh, knowing what's happening with the police side of things, as we'll get into later, I think there's a good chance that we see really none of them again next episode.
0: So let's get into the Barry storyline, because... Trippy AF as oh yes. So Barry like stumbles outside. He's wheezing like uh like that guy Ronnie that he ended up you know c- couldn't die in that infamous Ronnie Lily episode, and then of course the first moment is wow the <clears throat> the water line is pretty nearby, really close up on this suburban
1: street. Yeah, yeah, like terrible. But especially real knowing knowing that he was specifically taking this highway over into. Um, I believe, like the San Bernardino area, um which is inland, not towards the water. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, at first i i was I was with the hallucination, and then I remembered where he was, and that it's nowhere near the beach,
0: so let's talk about Barry's trip to the beach here. I mean, This is something that you see in a lot of prestige TV, right? Like, I don't know if this necessarily represents the afterlife and more so just Mm. a hallucination, but... It's very much that coded meaningfulness, though Bill Hader himself essentially states that he doesn't necessarily know what it stands for. He says that the ocean in this case represented freedom while the desert represents death, which is interesting given the like one second next time on features that familiar spot in the desert next to the one tree from the premiere. Hader said apparently in this interview, you know, uh, all the people on the beach, they're all waiting to either be taken someplace or denounced or I don't really know what's happening.
1: They're waiting for Barry to come in and join them in the church so that they can all move on together.
0: No, the church was in the first scene. Uh, I think they <laughs> they took a lo- wrong turn there. So that's nice relieving on our parts, right? We don't have to essentially do the 12th grade English essay of like, the beach represents this. And when they look up, they're actually looking at the giant wave that will sweep them away. More so Barry was like, or a Bill Hader thought, I-, I sort of like the imagery of this. I'm not particularly sure what it means, but we'll try filming it. It's a little surreal.
1: The only thing that I could think of while I was watching these beach scenes was... um, So you said this is a common trope in uh, prestige TV. The only show I feel like I remember this as part of is... Grey's anatomy oh and i am deeply traumatized by the beach scenes in Grey's anatomy so a couple of seasons ago meredith gray uh spoiler alert for like season 17 of gray's anatomy <laughs> 17 um,
0: jeez i'm crying. yeah uh,
1: we're on the 18 or 19 it's like this show won't die um to, to many people should and myself included i'm trapped i'm trapped please please just cancel the show. Let me go. Uh, Not Barry, Grey's Anatomy specifically. Um, But Meredith catches COVID and um, is like in a coma, like on a ventilator for a prolonged period of time. And there are many, 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 many scenes throughout the season where Meredith uh, in a coma is on a beach visiting her um, long deceased friends and relatives. um, And they are you know convincing her to I guess you know continue appreciating life mm-hmm. and go back to her kids but like I'm fully traumatized in case you cannot hear it in my voice by uh, these scenes they literally would not stop that season I it was like every episode Meredith was being visited by another dead person on this beach so um, at least Barry got it out of the way uh, with just one scene with like every single person, every single dead person that Barry has been in, involved with killing um, or like involved in their deaths, um, you know, as a kind of side result uh, of the, their involvement with Barry. Um, yeah, thank God we did not have to get like one by one uh, <sighs> Meredith Grey style.
0: No, because I also don't think that's the show or Barry either, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know.
1: Grey's Anatomy still does 20-episode seasons. Like, they've got the time (laughs) to fill. They can do one by one. This show, no. We do them all at once. There's, like, 40 guys uh, and, like, three ladies standing in a crowd in the beach. Like, Barry is going to go up there. He's going to see them all at once.
0: Was there one person that you saw and you realized that it was all of his victims or did you know immediately okay these are the people that he either killed or had a hand in doing away with
1: um so the first person that I saw was Goran yes yeah, and so I think I realized kind of immediately um whether they should have actually you know started with Goran I don't know but um and it wasn't um it wasn't chronological because the no. people that they focused in on, it was Goran. It was Chris. It was Taylor's sister, Tracy, which notably Barry did not kill. Mr. Kleintrop killed, um, with the shotgun last episode, um, Fernando Esther and Fernando and Esther were standing together, which was interesting. Um, the like mini Barry, who I believe yep. his name was mirror um, And then the Chechen tooth guy that I also did not get a chance to look up his name, but the guy who was like played, he played two different twins. Um, He was only shown once, which um, I thought was funny, uh, knowing that he played two twins that Barry had a hand in killing.
0: Um, Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, because the one was actually what Fuchs is going to talk about in his storyline, right? When he was able to convince his interrogator to kill himself. Yes. uh, And then the other. Well,
1: that was a. Yeah, that was a different guy. Oh, uh, that I thought, was, oh yeah, that, that was, was played the, by the, Mr.
0: Heckles. That was the old guy, right? That yes, was the the, yeah, Mr. The, the world's best Chechen assassin. I mean, yes. there is one glaring person missing, and I, I I don't know if it's like if they couldn't get the actress, but like hashtag Where's Janice?
1: Yeah, I mean Ryan Madison. I guess I also expected to be part of this. Uh Ronnie. I think would have also been an interesting part. Loach. Like, yeah, like none of the police people were here. um, Although Barry has been a part in killing like significant amount of police people, but yeah, um, Janice and Ryan, I, I definitely expected to see in this
0: crowd. Maybe he's just so hopped up on poison that he just like is having patches of memory. That's my explanation of just, they they didn't have the people there for the day, but I don't know. It's short and sweet to your point about Grey's Anatomy, which I'm very surprised they went with like, this exact same thing, because I was going to compare it to something like The Leftovers. Uh, oh, yeah. This happens a bit yeah. in, like, the the final stuff in Mr. Robot. Uh, the X-Files has some stuff where, like, Scully is in a coma, and there's some representative stuff there. But at least I have never seen it of you're on a beach, and all the people who died in your life end up approaching you. Uh, so I'm incredibly <laughs> surprised that it, that ended up showing up on Grey's Anatomy as well. But it's actually relatively short-lived. I'm trying to figure out, like... If I would or would not have wanted more time spent in this "quote unquote" world, do you have a feeling about that?
1: Um, considering the fact that I have PTSD from Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. um, and none of the dead people spoke in this hallucination, I feel much more satisfied with this version of uh, you know, there there was no need for like trite monologues about like you killed me and you're a bad person and blah, blah, blah. Like, um, I think that's not this show. Um, I think this show is better than that. And uh, also, yeah, I mean, just dead people speaking from beyond the grave is not my favorite.
0: So I will say from my own perspective, as someone who has not been scarred by Grey's <laughs> anatomy and the works of Shonda Rhimes, I I don't know, I, I kind of would, would have liked to see more of it in general, but I do agree with you to a certain extent that that's not Barry. You know, we have mm-hmm. gone a bit into the surreal with, like, the Ronnie slash Lily stuff, which kind of just pushes on the borders of reality. But I do think, as experimental as it may have been, if you had Barry an entire episode in this fantasy, that wouldn't necessarily feel like what the show does. So it's tough. Again, like, I, I say that the big risks and big events usually happen in these penultimate episodes, and that would have been a big example of it. But it may have been too much of a, you know, trying out different flavors and straying too far away from what makes Barry, Barry in the first place.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think um, Barry has kind of like a nice moment with Chris. I mean, to some extent, I guess you know, nice quote unquote, but, um, Barry, you know, he smiles at Chris and he waves and he's like, Oh yeah, my buddy who I killed. And Chris just kind of like looks away and gives him this look like, what the F are you doing, buddy? Like, why are you smiling at me? And, um, I think, you know, even though Barry is in this kind of like dream world, he's still, I think there is still kind of like a sense of grounding reality in this moment.
0: And we get grounded to reality as a car drives down the beach, and that's when you start to realize a little bit more, okay, something's going on here. So George Kremf, I guess, from my understanding, Deidre, just happens to find him. Happens upon
1: him, yeah, just like the dirt bike gang last week.
0: Yeah, I mean, either that or Fuchs has been, like, saying, hey, this is what Barry looks like. I put a tracker on him or something. Yeah, do
1: you think that he's got Lojack and Barry?
0: I mean, there's a non-zero chance, but I also feel like Barry is so intense that, like, Fuchs wouldn't be able to tranquilize him enough to get something in. I mean, the dude just survived a poisoning uh, and was able to, like, still be somewhat conscious behind it. It's wild.
1: Barry is, like, one of those video game characters that, like, just keeps, like, you get him down to, like, 1 HP, and Mm -hmm. then they get back up, and it's like, finish him, and then he, like just still somehow gets hit and stays at one HP. And then it's like, finish him. And just repeats over and over again because they just won't die. And uh, Barry also just won't die. And he's picked up sitting in a dumpster by uh, Papa
0: Krumph. And Papa Kremf, I mean, you know, he's going to... It's really interesting, right? Because he does take Barry to, like, the parking lot of the hospital. So you can tell there is still a little bit of going back and forth in his head of him just sitting there tepidly, and then he reaches for the gun. It's a different approach than what ends up happening with, you know, the mother and son a couple of episodes, right? Where they really struck out to find Barry. They, like, sought out his address and everything. Again, from what we know about George Kremp, which is very little, I would not assume, again, that he was like, okay, I'm going to check out this place. They said he was going to this dinner at this house. He can't be far away. But it's clear he still had the intention to go there, assumingly from, what, Minnesota is where Ryan was originally from?
1: Did uh, did Fuchs visit him all the way out in Minnesota? I, I kind to- of, I guess, assumed that this guy was local.
0: Yeah, I mean, they talk about, though, like, I think him moving out to LA. At least I thought I remembered that.
1: I wonder if that's a plot hole um, that the creators
0: kind of forgotten about. Or maybe it was a stopover during his flight back to LA from Chechnya.
1: Yeah, perhaps. That could have been it, too. Um, I mean, maybe Fuchs Flies commercial. Who knows? (laughs) But um, yeah, I kind of had no idea that he was out in Minnesota. But yeah i mean it's not possible to have followed barry to this dinner um because barry like stole a dirt bike to get there right mm-hmm. like so that, like if fuchs had put lojack in barry's car that's
0: irrelevant right because barry
1: crashed his car
0: and then stole a dirt bike yeah it's a fruitless so, like, cause to put anything in barry's car because he loses a car every single episode
1: Oh yeah. he goes through so many cars. So yeah. I mean, the only way that like Fuchs knew where he was is if there is somehow a tracker in Barry's person. And if that's the case, I don't know if Barry knows about it. Um, But I mean, Barry was like, you know, also subconscious or unconscious and like drifting in and out of like uh, wordless dreams in Ronnie Lily. So, you know, perhaps
0: Fuchs maybe took advantage of that at that time. Um yeah, I, st- I stitch up your back and I put a tracker in it. That would be a really interesting twist.
1: Yeah, I think I mean that could be something that would be a big reveal. This show doesn't usually do big reveals, I guess, but um but this could be a fun one. I want It's the only thing that makes sense other than just like two random people in the last two episodes in a row just like happening upon Barry.
0: Which does happen, you know, they they tend to sort of talk about the way that Barry finds himself in and out of situations, so it's not outside of the reality of this show. I want to bring up the way that George finds Barry, because listen, you talk about this being a dark episode, in the original version, it was much darker. According to Bill Hader, originally, George would show up at Barry's apartment, where his roommates were having a party with some acting class students, and then a shooting happened with some dying uh, and oh hater had said the idea was that Barry's community that he's trying to get back together. His past comes back and destroys it. And apparently it took uh, a while. Bill Hader was like a, a rock in the ocean. Like he was unmoving about this until he had a conversation with writer Duffy Boudreaux and basically said, okay, we'll just make it Barry and George. But I would just say, especially in light of recent events, I'm very happy that didn't happen.
1: Yes, uh, I'm very happy that this did not um, get uh, produced as such for for many reasons. Um, Also because I don't want to see any of the other um, acting class people perish like that.
0: Yeah, Nick and Jerome, like he was just working on his comedy album with all the Foley going on last week. I don't want them to to be casualties of all this.
1: I know. And like, yeah, it would have gotten more of them in the fold this week, but or this season. But don't don't do them like that they don't, they don't, um, deserve that. And, you know, I suppose Ryan Madison didn't maybe deserve what happened to him either, but like, mm, he was also sleeping with uh, a mobster wife. So.
0: So let's get to yet another situation that Barry is able to worm his way out of, though, again, it's not his doing whatsoever. Uh, Ryan starts to monologue, Ryan's dad, sorry, starts to monologue and it is Incredibly tragic, right? He oh ta- god, it's so sad. Especially as a father myself, like I, I feel seen, uh you know, very much here when he talks about how, essentially, like I never wanted to hurt anyone my whole life until we had Ryan. And he talks about how right now, you know, he feels like he's having conversations with him. He thinks he still hears him, Uh, his wife. And maybe this is another reason why George Krimp isn't local is because his wife told him that like L.A. was the devil that tempted him into hell, essentially. But Mm. God, just the pathos from this character is so rough. And when he ended the scene by saying, I want to see my son again, I was like, He's gonna shoot himself.
1: Oh yeah, that line I think was also when I realized. I mean, um, you know, he he before he says that he wants to see his son again, he says that he could leave Barry here to rot, but he can't. Um, so I mean, at that during that line, I thought maybe um, Papa Kremf would, you know, was saying like. I can't leave you here to rot, but I also I can shoot you and just put you out of your misery. Um, But then when he follows that up with the line of he just wants to see his son again, I I knew what we were getting ourselves into for sure.
0: Do you see any significance to that rumbling noise in the fantasy and everybody looking up because it does then smash cut to Barry being wheeled out as you know we see the now deceased body of Papa kremp? could it have been like the the representation of the gunshot noise in his fantasy
1: um it's it certainly could be um you know i i certain i I do not claim to know the physics of um sound and uh (laughs) the effects on dreams um but yeah I mean that uh that certainly could be it it also could be just kind of like the you know switching scene sound effect kind of thing um but like made real ish in this dreamland um I mean it also could be you know I guess some sort of like I don't know, airplane situation. I mean, there have been a lot of planes that have been relevant in this universe, but um I mean lots of transportation actually if we're if we're thinking about planes, it, but... trains and automobiles
0: and dirt bikes.
1: And dirt bikes. Certainly can't forget the dirt bikes. Um not after last week. Um but yeah, I mean Barry comes too while he's being, you know, I guess like shot up with whatever like adrenaline and anti you know poison medicines that exist maybe and um yeah I mean the fact that like Barry didn't uh you know die in the first place and was able to just like wander around like poisoned and wheezing and just like walk away almost unscathed is still wild but yeah i mean the the kindness i suppose of ryan's dad to you know to bring him to a hospital parking lot knowing that essentially um that when he takes his own life that barry will then be given the gift of life once again um was really beautiful i thought
0: so let's talk about, I think we can do this with each of the storylines of what do we anticipate happens with this character in the finale? Because when, you know, Barry notices that they're going to the hospital, he wheezes out like, no. Oh, no. no." Oh, no. And so he does end up getting taken in There's going to be a lot of questions that I think both the medical professionals and the cops will have, considering that he was found in a car with a man who shot himself. There's certainly going to be a lot of things, and I know that Barry does not want to necessarily be tangled in with law enforcement, especially given how the episode ends. Do you expect things going in that direction for Barry next episode, or do you think we're going to yada yada past that, and it's like, eh, he just gave a false story, he got out, and now he's going to try to just move on?
1: No, I think. Um, I mean, they made a point to, you know, make this a thing in the uh, Ronnie and Lily as well. I mean, the entire reason that Fuchs is stitching up Barry's back and they have to go and get super glue in the grocery store with Ronnie um, is because, you know, taking Barry to a hospital is extremely dangerous. Um, so I think they they want us to remember that context, and um, you know, Barry is is definitely, I think, looking down the barrel of the gun. Uh, metaphorically and literally perhaps um, with um, him being at the hospital and with Fuchs being at the police station. Um, I mean, this is, this is a really, I mean, this is, this seems to be the kind of thing that Barry is not going to be going to be able to get away from, but we know Barry and we know he always manages to somehow get away. Um, But I I think the way that they will end the, the season for Barry is, is with him, you know, uh, appearing to be caught and, you know, perhaps dead to rights.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of hospital action next episode. And if and when Albert tracks him down, I think it's going to go to the hospital. And I think he, we might be dealing with, like, a very weakened Barry in a hospital gown, fighting people off and feebly trying to escape. So that that's my prediction.
1: Oh, my God. I would love that imagery. I, yeah. I like deeply now need like uh bill Hader like um you know in a backless hospital gown just like weekly fighting people with his ass hanging out
0: like that that to me is like the imagery that we need in this episode <laughs> so you're not tuned out to hospitals completely from your trauma faced by gray's anatomy no
1: yes um yeah no not hospitals just uh dead people on beaches
0: OK, good to know. This is the checklist <laughs> for Deidre's do's and do nots when it comes to television, which perhaps <laughs> Sally should keep in mind. Oh,
1: yes. Um, I mean, we know that uh, Banshee's do's list is uh, kittens, ice cream in the first two minutes, Dev Patel in Central Park. Um, but, you know, Deidre's don'ts list also includes dead people on beaches. So, um, yeah, Sally, take some notes, please.
0: All right, let's get into Sally's storyline here because oof doofa. Uh I know that I've said in the past couple seasons that, like, Sally, I think, is sympathetic in some ways, but by and large, I do not think is that good of a person. Even, Mm-mm. like, her relationship with Barry, a lot of it felt transactional almost in that she needed mm-hmm. someone to call to and complain. She needed a scene partner. She needed someone to, like, be her arm candy, etc., and it comes full force here. And like, I don't know, I love Sarah Goldberg, but I gotta admit, it was kind of delicious for me for her to get a bit of karmic justice in this episode.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, Sally is not a great person. Uh never really has been. Um it's you know, we we have been watching her, you know, be shitty to Natalie. We've been watching her, um, you know, be shitty to the people that she, uh, you know, is working with on set and, you know, just kind of being like her like regular Sally self. And like if, you know, they're like it all bubbled up this episode and boiled over. There is uh, nothing that could stop this rage uh, from switching on. And, I mean, really similar the way that Barry's rage switches on. And we finally see some parallels between the two of them for sure. But, I mean, I think we've been kind of expecting Sally to break bad in this season. But you could not have paid me, you know. I I would have never guessed that it was because Natalie was somehow going to be uh, a showrunner and throwing success in Sally's face.
0: Yeah, a lot of parallels between the two characters, complete with when Sally yells at Natalie in the elevator. She does the thing yes. where she puts her hand on the wall just like Barry did when he yelled at her.
1: Yeah, it's exactly what Barry did to her in yeah, in the writer's room for her,
0: sure. Her storyline ends with her backing away into she's close but not completely backing away into darkness. But that happened to Barry at the end of season two, uh, when he after he shot up the monastery. So Oh yeah, yeah. he
1: like walks down a dark hallway. Yeah the the scene of her yelling at Lindsay. I mean, we'll we'll get to how she gets there, but yeah, the just the cinematography of her like going uh, more and more evil as she's backing up into the darkness, and the, like that that shot was just spectacular. I think that's really um, the best shot of the
0: episode for sure. Totally agree. So let's start with her temporary job though on the new Medusas and. It's what you expect, right? They're lampooning this sort of like formulaic, also like male driven, raunchy show, right? The idea of turning a guy to stone and then uh, eating his member. And for what it's worth, when Sally ends up speaking up, you think it is going to be this like typical tropey thing of, okay, she's gonna get fired or she's gonna get her ideas shouted down and she realized that she is creatively stifled. But again, Barry usually subverts our expectations, and here she is sort of, like, commended by the writer's room and leaves this funny, duddy showrunner stunned about this house of cards that came crumbling down in his very constructively or, you know, uh, very complexly constructed plot.
1: Yeah, I I think Sally was, like, um, you know, she wasn't content with the situation, but she was set up to deal with it until you know, she walks past another writer's room and it turns out that Natalie is a showrunner and they're all having fun in there.
0: I, But it's so stupid. I oh, love yeah. it. Like again, Darcy Carden is such a great comedian. And first off, let's just talk about the lack of reality and the fact that she would even get a show, oh, right? Like God, yeah. her experience is that she was Sally's assistant and they're like, I think we could give you a show as well. But it just shows how... Failing Upwards is so much fun, right? She is ridiculous. She's doing like the chicken dance from Arrested Development. She's talking about like, mm-hmm. and then the love interest is the villain, showing again how the success comes from catering to that lowest common denominator. And it makes Sally unhinged.
1: Oh, yeah. Um. Did you notice, though, that um, Natalie's show, Just Desserts, is a show about um, Central Park and is also starring Dev Patel?
0: I didn't know it was starring Dev Patel.
1: Oh yeah, I noticed that on one of the like fake TMZ articles. Um, yeah, just dessert starring Dev Patel. I don't know if he's the love interest slash villain, um, villain or if he is the um, teenage uh, child of the uh, cupcake shop owner. Um, but yeah, we've we've got um about fifty percent of the the algorithm figured out in the show for sure.
0: Were you surprised to see Natalie here cuz I think we were expecting something from Natalie considering how much it had been boiling? Definitely.
1: I I was surprised. Um I I was not expecting it. Should I have been expecting it? Possibly. Um but I was floored um by Natalie being there as a showrunner. Um I mean, we also see a scene of Natalie being like similarly rude and dismissive towards her assistant. Um when she is like walking from the writer's room to the, uh, elevator where everything kind of goes down. And, you know, it just like, it made me really sad about like how, you know, there is just kind of like this perpetuation of mistreatment in this industry. And it's basically like, Oh, one person mistreats another person. And then they are like, okay, well, I was mistreated. So I get the um, the freedom to mistreat my own, you know, underlings. And it's, this is, you know, this is a, a TV show. But uh, this is definitely one of the things that is unfortunately common in many industries, uh, perhaps the TV industry specifically. But um, I mean, there's There is this in in really every industry, and it just makes me very sad, but um, yeah, watching Natalie um, act rude to her assistant uh, in this scene, she certainly did not deserve what she had coming to her from Sally, but... She's, I mean, she's, she's learning the wrong lessons perhaps as well.
0: Yeah. But though by her logic, she was essentially like emotionally abused by Sally and then she got a TV show out of it. So she feels like an an unfortunate correlation does not mean causation of like, well, I was able to succeed. So let me do it this way. I mean, like you said, that sort of lack of sympathy for Natalie at least gets dulled a bit here as Sally goes aggro in this elevator. And it is so interesting, right? Because You see her POV to a certain extent, right? Uh, I really like the line where she tells Natalie, it's not a story. It's an effing math equation. It's very Mm -hmm. clear that like, she is hearing a lot of that Banshee meeting in her head. uh, Even the stuff with Vanessa Bayer last week of just catering to stuff that literally is wordless and that that's the business rather than telling a story. But then she kind of loses any point she has against her when she says, you have nothing to say about anything. You have never struggled a day in your life. That is my story. When it really isn't.
1: It's not. Yeah. Um, Sally definitely does not run a cupcake store with her child in Central Park.
0: And also, even Joplin was not necessarily her story. Also not really her
1: story. Yeah. I mean, certainly more her story than just desserts is her
0: story, but
1: also still not really her story.
0: Yeah. It's this idea that I wonder if she after this entire season two storyline, right, where she debated whether or not she should tell the truth in that scene study about the fact that when, you know, her husband was abusive to her, she immediately took him back and was apologetic instead of standing up to him. And I wonder if in between seasons, she, like, deluded herself into believing that, well, this is what I wanted to do, so this truly is my story. And so it just really is, like, this entire storyline is the culmination of everything i think she had built up for herself from a mental perspective just crumbling down which is interesting given the fact that her show got canceled two episodes ago but this is the moment where it all comes crumbling down
1: yeah sally like fully gaslit herself on a number of levels um uh but yeah i mean she completely loses her mind i mean anything that she had to start with i mean she she yells at Natalie that, you know, the 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 phrase that she repeats is entitled effing C-word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we find out that essentially Natalie was recording on her phone this entire time. And, you know, she sends it to whatever this universe's version of uh, TMZ is. And, I mean, this video is not something that you come back from i mean i know we talk a lot about cancel culture and like what you can and cannot come back from i don't think this is something that you can come back from and honestly i don't think sally has the like uh history in hollywood to come back from it anyway
0: i think it is also a bit saddened because she is a woman who i feel like um, in that in the industry especially men are excused more for this type of outburst. I mean Christian Bale, you know, works a lot to this day, considering the fact that he had yeah. outbursts on set. Uh, but it's clear at least in this moment, she is untouchable. She's dropped off of Medusa's. And then also what follows is like, again, maybe it's the delusion part of <clears throat> Sally's oh persona God, that she yeah. built up to this point is that like she is now not listening to anybody. Uh Lindsay is yes. really trying to be that morality, that angel on her shoulder, but she has fully gone devil.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lindsay, you know, is a agent and she says, you know, let me handle this. Um, You know, do do not post an apology video. Um, Do not post an apology, period. Um, I mean, do agents do this, or is this PR people? I don't know. The show, you know, whatever. Uh, Lindsay is clearly... Lindsay's doing more things for Sally than she would anyway. We've already established this.
0: I mean, uh, I think at this point she doesn't have a PR person, because now that Joplin's done, like, usually those are more so to represent... I mean, maybe they represent celebrities, but I don't think Sally is nearly as big, especially now, to have a publicity person and an agent.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, she... Sally is fully delusional. She posts to this quote-unquote apology video where she doesn't apologize at all she comes out on the defensive with you know what Lindsay calls damage control but like actually it's like very offensive like she is you know she's basically she's calling natalie a bully and like it's it's just like a really ugly side of sally i mean i i don't know which side is uglier like the tirade in the first place Or the like kind of gaslighty lack of apology video that she's calling an apology.
0: Well, again, it's very Barry-esque, right? Where when he talked to her about the things that he he could do to the Banshee person, it was so matter of fact. And he had just been living in his own truth of doing some objectively terrible things is absolutely fun, And here Sally is living in her own objectively terrible world by being like, my apology is that be careful that of people that you trust because she betrayed me in the first place, which isn't an apology at all. So it really is this idea. It's also
1: not true. Like Natalie did not betray her. She was offered a show and she took it.
0: Yeah. So I think that Sally and Barry, again, I saw it more as a relationship of convenience in the first couple seasons, I think it shows now that they actually maybe deserve, deserve each, each other better. even yeah. more than you think and I guess this is a might be a series wrap on Lindsay here as Sally... I mean, Lindsay officially severs ties with Sally, but it seems to be mutual, right? She does like, the you can't fire me because I quit. I don't want to work with liars anyway. I mean, I think she makes an objectively good point that oftentimes happens with agents about how, like, you don't consider me a person, you just consider me your client. It does seem like Lindsay has gone far and beyond, though, especially in season three, to, to prove that's not the case.
1: Yes, I mean, Lindsay... Like Sally was a nobody. She was like not getting roles. You know, Lindsay got her things to do. she got her jobs, and then she got her her own freaking show. like, yes, does Lindsay get a good cut? Sure. but like she got Sally her own show when Sally like has basically no experience in Hollywood. like that's incredible um and you know, theoretically deserves some loyalty. but um, you know, I think when Sally feels like she's been wronged, whether she actually has been wronged or not, she just, she, she fights fire with fire or she fights perceived fire with fire. Um, and like she really brings a gun to a knife fight perhaps. And, um, just goes on in that complete wild tirade about, yeah, like you can't, uh, drop me, I'm dropping you. And, um that's this incredible shot where she's backing up into the darkness as she's you know really kind of embracing the darkness but um yeah and then lindsay just gives sally this look like what are you even talking about like i have to drop you um do you think that lindsay was um planning on dropping sally before she goes on this tirade or um is this as a result of this tirade
0: I mean, it certainly doesn't help where, first off, Sally went against her wishes expressly and makes this apology video. And I think the final nail in the coffin is the fact that Sally feels like she did nothing wrong with that. Maybe if she was apologetic to Lindsay and was like, oh my God, I made a mistake. Can we fix this? Then maybe she would have kept her along because I do think Lindsay genuinely cares about Sally, but I think it just dug in the point that she had been thinking about the past couple days uh, considering her behavior of like, No, I actually was in the right. I meant to do this. And so I think she kind of, I would say maybe like, I don't know, 70, 30, she was going to drop her going into that conversation and then it fully became 100%. Now, that being said, Sally is probably one of the most X-Factor characters in when we ask what is she going to do in the finale. I don't know if we're going to get to that point brought up by that Twitter user of like, she hires someone to kill Barry and it's Barry, but I do wonder how vindictive and or violent she might get against the people that have wronged her.
1: She certainly seems to have the potential to to get vindictive and violent. I mean, Sally is completely unhinged. Um, you know, she's always been a little bit, you know, off her hinges, but sh- the door is completely off the hinges at this point. She is as you say an X factor. I don't think it's ca- I don't think I'm capable of predicting where she's going with this, but um I mean, this is this is not looking good for Sally in any way, shape, and form. She's she is a disaster.
0: Yeah, if I can make a bold prediction, I think she's gonna fly back to Joplin and something's gonna happen with her ex-husband. Interesting. Cause I'm I'm trying to think about like I I think she wouldn't wanna get the hell out of Dodge to a certain extent, right? Like now she's been a bit excommunicated from Hollywood certainly characters have done that thing of like clearing her head going somewhere else maybe it's a thing of her trying to like reconcile with him maybe it's much much worse uh, in either direction but for some reason that's where I anticipate this going next
1: do you think she goes back to Barry
0: no I don't think so at least not at the end of this season maybe there's something about that in season four but I don't think we end season three with them back together
1: I kind of think we do. Hmm. I kind of think that now she may recognize that, like, she's also uh, a major shit show, like Barry is. Um, I mean, both of them have, you know, as, as we say in this show, uh, major, major rage issues. And um, I, I definitely, I think, you know, I when, you know, we say that Connor had the theory of hit, her hiring a hitman for Barry and it's Barry, I, th- I think she could actually just go to Barry and um you know he has told her the things that he can do and I think she teams up with him to take out some of her vindication on potentially Natalie potentially Lindsay potentially the Randos from Medusa's potentially the Banshee Network executives I think I think we did legitimately see Sally break bad I think she knows what the options are out there for what Barry can do. And I think she is going to take him up on that.
0: All right, let's move on here to you got to love the bookends of the fact that we start the season where Sally is at an all time high. Gene is his washed up self. Now, Sally is the one washed up, and Gene. Jean- is hosting a show. We begin to see filming for Gene master Masterclass. I will say this was a good source of where some of the humor came from as well. Yes. Uh, with just the... Complete over-the-top stuff. This is what we loved about Henry Winkler in season one in particular, right? it was just the ridiculous way that he coached. Uh, him describing acting as collecting masks. Uh, him very humorously taking some of the most famous lines in theater slash cinema of, Stella, get down here, I want to eat! Uh, and completing, including, hey, I'm acting here. And they oh are God. eating it up. Uh, outside of the Jim Moss stuff, which we'll get to, I think one of the main takeaways is that Indeed, Annie did take his offer. He, She has come back into the fold, but she is scared out of her mind because she has no idea what she's doing. And uh, Bill Hader had a great quote about this in an interview. He said, "Gene's very happy and feeling great about himself, but he's still doing it for himself. He doesn't really care. So it was important to show what is her little arc in the episode, which is, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't let him know it. Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Um, You know, Annie is having like a little mini panic attack, but like refusing to let Gene know that she's having a panic attack and that she doesn't know what she's doing. But um, I mean, Annie seems to also be kind of um, failing her way up because Bob, whoever Bob is, (laughs) because I already forgot who he was, if we knew, uh, wants to hire Annie on some other projects.
0: Yeah. So again, it's this idea of she was able to get her foot back in the door. It's the thing that she wanted, but now she has this imposter syndrome of, okay, I wanted the success that I was forced out of 20 years ago, but now I have no idea what I'm doing, right? I'm sure cameras look different. I'm sure sets work different. For what it's worth, it seems like she is being inspired along uh, and pushed along excitedly by people that are younger than her. But it's very clear that, and I don't know where the Annie stuff goes, if anywhere at all, but it's, it's interesting to not only watch her go through this mini arc, but to Bill Hader's point to see Jean, despite everything that he's gone through, become right back to his self-obsessed self.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, um, I'm also like, I'm not really interested on following Annie after this. Um, laura san giacomo like i don't know she's not like really doing it for me here um but you know i i i do think that this show is like bizarre where in universe they are all talking about it as if it is great but like this show looks horrible
0: yeah considering that he's coaching them through scenes from like Jurassic Park uh I mean he is bringing up some interesting acting tips right like embracing your embarrassment there is certainly something especially with young actors about not being afraid to feel about how you're perceived on stage and I would say that like some of the tips that Gene has given over the course of various three seasons do work it's just the way he goes about it and then also sort of supplanted by the idea that they are taking these ridiculous scenes of yes I do believe that you are going to let the dinosaurs free
1: Hmm. Yeah. Did you also notice that Gene is now suddenly pronouncing his name Kusanao instead of Kusinao?
0: Oh, I didn't even notice that.
1: I really like, couldn't not notice this. This was so weird to me. I mean, this entire show, it's been Kusinao, Kusinao, kusuno, And then all of a sudden, it's Kusanao. And I, I mean, this was it, like, it wasn't just once and it was... It was super weird to me where I was like, is this something that we're doing specifically for TV? Is it because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's Kusa now. It's happening now. Um, no idea. But yeah, that was something I caught that um, bothered me for some reason.
0: Could it be a suggestion of Fred Melamed's character of like, you've got to rebrand yourself. This is his version of going from Ryan Krempf to Ryan Madison.
1: Oh, yeah, it could be. You never know. Um, Kusa now's masterclass. Um, I think the, the really only, like, funny part of this episode for me was um, in this scene afterwards with um, with Gene and Bob, whoever Bob is, and Fred Melamed, now we don't even know his character's name anymore, and Annie, where, um, you know, Bob is saying, you know, oh, like, Annie, you did such a great job for making him look so, so... So like he can't remember what he's looking for, and Fred Melamed just suggests a list of a bunch of these adjectives before we land on uh, ultimately what he was trying to say was tall. But in his most Fred Melamed way, he goes masculine, virile, rugged, brawny, gallant, robust, uh, lantern-jawed. Un homme tous saison.
0: I just want him to to read at thesaurus. He's just so good.
1: I know I know I just like I need him to narrate literally everything um, he's just he's got a wild cadence to his voice and I'm glad that they continue to give him just these like lists of things to to go through because Fred Melamed reading lists is like just my new favorite thing. And uh, thank you, Barry, for giving us another one. And one that doesn't have to be censored on the
0: podcast. Exactly. Uh, instead of the, the the other callous nicknames that Gene formerly had. So it should be noted here with that Bob stuff that, I, I, is this like a commentary about how, Producers, because I'm, I'm assuming he's some sort of producer or showrunners, like don't necessarily know anything about directing that you could sort of fake it till you make it. Uh, and they just don't really care about the artistry behind it.
1: Could be, could also be, because in this version of Hollywood, we know that they just really love tall people.
0: Yeah, that's very true. That's why Barry almost got cast on Swim Instructors back in yep. season two, episode seven. So it's all about height. And Gene is going to face someone who stands very tall in the form of Jim Moss. Now we'll get to like the Fuke side of things and how he gets to Kusuno in the first place, but Mm -hmm. it shows that perhaps again, that facade, that mask, if you will, is cracking a little bit as the interesting thing to me is Gene denies any involvement of like Barry killing Janice. Do you think for him, it was a matter of like, because Barry helped me so much, like if I rat him out, he's going to come back for me. Is it him trying to truly put that part of his life away?
1: Um, I saw it as a combination of, like, if I cross Barry by telling the truth, he's going to come after my family, as, you know, was stated previously. Um, A mixture of that and his, like, you know, selfish, self-centered, like, I finally have this show where, like, I'm the center of attention and, like, I'm finally getting the success that I think I deserve. So, like, I don't want to um, lose that by, uh, you know, somehow – Getting you know Barry wrapped back up in this. Barry helps sort of get
0: him this show, and that's the thing as well is that there is an entire ass article right about how he saved this guy's life. If he goes around sort of slandering his name and linking him up to a murder, that might reflect badly on Gene as well. So I yeah, think, I think that's a great point. We did note uh we see it in the close up as well, assumingly behind Jim's eyes that he gets a feeling that Gene is lying. We'll talk about Jim Moss. He's pretty intense. He's a good interrogator. I think he noticed the flop sweat on Jean's like definitely. little wisps of hair at the top. So, you got to imagine where this is going is like Jim Moss is going to kind of like dig in the screws a little bit on him, right?
1: Yeah, I definitely I mean, it's 100% happening. Jim noticed it, the camera notices it. Um just very funny how like there's an actual plot point in this episode about Henry Winkler being short guy. I mean, not just you know the throwaway line about him looking so tall, like him being short and his forehead and flop sweat being visible to a taller man being plot relevant. I just thought was very funny after the um, earlier comment.
0: All right, before we finish with Fuchs, because that's we'll sort of end with, I would say, probably the second biggest story after Barry's. Let's dote on our couple of scenes of Hank. As we talked about last week, Mitch, the Beignet guy, was able to convince or tell uh, Hank to go down to Bolivia to essentially, like, find Cristobal. Predictably, it does not end up going well. I love the slow, deliberate maneuver of the guy that he's trying to get directions from, just loading up a blowgun and hitting him with it. And whether or not whether or not he was working with Elena, he ends up in it, their prisoner for the finale.
1: Yes, um, I love um, Hank just walking around a busy street market in Bolivia, just asking people, "Cristobal Cifuentes, Cristobal Cifuentes,"
0: and and him asking for a cross street for, assumingly, like the Bolivian mafia hangout.
1: Yes, um, it's it's so funny too, like the. Um, the guy that he you know is asking and then who ends up uh, blow darting him you know and he's like uh they drugs and he's like yes they they drugs um I, I really liked that line as well but yeah uh did you recognize this as a blow dart at first
0: I mean when he put something when he put it, the dart
1: in yes yeah. but when he was just like screwing pieces of plastic together. I had no idea what I was looking at.
0: No, because I feel like what I'm used to seeing blow darts, which admittedly is through like a bit of the tribalistic aspects in a show like Survivor, I feel like it's a lot longer uh, to go the distance. I mean, this is more of a short-range, point-blank thing. But again, freaking Anthony Kerrigan plays it so well where After Kits he hit, he's like, yep, I uh, should have expected that. I just didn't want to be polite and interrupt you. So thank you, goodbye.
1: Yep, that is what I thought you were doing. Yes, I did not want to be rude as I... I just love, I love Noho Hank. He's just, he's such a, like, everything that comes out of his mouth is just gold. And they, they like, they just, they keep reinforcing to me that Noho Hank is the greatest character on TV, even if they really haven't given him much this season. But um, yeah, Hank ends up being taken prisoner by a random market blow dart guy and, of course, uh, just so happens to be the same prisoner where Akmal and Yandar are being taken captive um, through the vent in the prison. They can talk to each other. So this is, I guess, it's confirmation that Yandar was not the suicide bomber yeah. uh, a couple episodes ago, which is helpful to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, they they're all being tortured by Elena's crew and they just want to know about. Hank and Cristobal um I mean is this this is this is a bit much don't you think
0: I mean we'll see I think if we're answering the question of where's this storyline going I think we see Hank getting sat in front of Elena and maybe what ends up happening is in the cruel twist of irony the two jilted lovers come together and like kill Cristobal thinking that he's the problem and then maybe he forms a partnership with Elena obviously not romantically that's personally where I see going but I mean look he walked into the lion's den in the first place so it's
1: true. I think, um, you know, it just it kind of like harkens back to that weird like revenge fantasy um, TV show that they wanted Sally to work on. Um, if uh, Hank and Elena do just kind of like become Vengeance Panthers against Cristobal. I mean, it, it, it certainly could be another um, Vengeance Panther like side mission for a couple of other, you know, Vengeance Panthers uh, being Elena and... Uh, And NoHo Hank. Um, But yeah, I mean, Yandar is like seemingly like pulling his bloody hand out of the handcuff. Like, is that something that you knew could happen?
0: I mean, if you uh, if you cut off your thumb uh, or like break your hand to a certain extent, you're able to sort of mangle it around the bones. I mean, look, Stranger Things had a little bit of fun footwork of like getting a manacle off of somebody. So it's certainly possible. But we shall see. Yeah,
1: spoilers for, for Stranger Things season four.
0: Speaking of a uh, Vengeance Panthers, let's talk about one entering the picture. We mentioned him before. Fuchs finally visits Jim Moss after he drove away from like that weird fantasy farm last time, and dude is intense. Uh, Oh, yeah. And I I don't think Fuchs knew about this, but he has an entire history right where he was a POW in Vietnam. He was able to get his interrogator to commit suicide. And in true Fuchs fashion, right, that's all he could fixate on because it's a very similar thing that he did, where again, this is Fuchs. He's so fantastically flawed in like he's so self centered that if he can associate with you on one detail, all the rest of it is just gray noise.
1: Yeah and I think like to you know I I think his his danger I guess right like he he is so interested in the concept of convincing your interrogator to commit suicide that he is completely oblivious to the fact that he's being driven to the police station
0: Yep, because Jim believes that he was the one who did it. Uh, And so, yeah, Fuchs is just so deluded by all of this. The Raven finally gets brought in, and oh, Big Cat is having a day with it. Uh, Big
1: Cat is continuing to be the literal worst police person that we have seen in this universe. I mean... Not only is he like, yeah, it's the Raven. It's definitely not Barry. He also encourages Albert to interrogate him with a phone book or a sack of quarters to hit him with.
0: Yeah, that's the thing is that he's the bad combination of both like dumb and violent at the same time. Unhinged. Yeah, exactly. But the main thing for Jim here, right, is that he brings in Fuchs. Big Cat's like, yeah, it's definitely this guy, despite the fact that multiple people have said it's Barry Berkman. We know it's mm-hmm. this guy. And that pricks up on the ears of both him and Albert. And so Jim is going to now go to Kusuno which is the scene that we talked about. I mean, despite Gene denying it, do you think this means that Jim is an out-and-out Vengeance Panther and will try to find Barry as well? I
1: think Jim, I mean, he is hes definitely a Vengeance Panther, but I think Jim could be the the vengeance panther who uh re-purifies his soul and decides to not continue to seek vengeance um I, i mean maybe maybe we don't see anybody choosing the alternate route to keep their souls pure um maybe everybody just vengeance panthers themselves uh down to the the depths of the ocean um but yeah i mean jim seems to really want to you know to to find out like who actually killed janice and you know get some some justice and whether to him justice is vengeance or not um i don't feel like we have a complete picture of his motivations yet um but i think you know he's definitely he's not willing to just take fukes at face value like the other vengeance panthers are
0: And the other thing as well is that this could be the opposite side of the coin that we saw from George Kremf here where he just did not have the disposition, right? He said, I never hurt anyone in my life before this. And this is a guy who like almost bathes in the fact that he is able to be super violent and super antagonistic when he needs to be. And so that is very scary for Barry as well as another force coming his way. Let's talk about this Albert Fuchs scene because this is Fuchs at his finest, right? Where this is... And Steven Root had a quote about the last scene in this episode where he says, even though James, with uh, James Hiroyuki Lee is the name of the actor, is there and has lines, it's kind of a monologue from me, trying to figure out from the middle of this conversation, how can I take this over and make him go do what I want to do? So we end up using one close-up take of me trying to convince him. So I'm glad that worked out. Uh, And I agree. I think the camera work was very symbolic in that despite this being an interrogation, it became completely one-sided where Fuchs, once again, has all the power, the silver tongue comes out, and he's telling Albert exactly what he wants to hear to turn him against Barry.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the last shot in this episode, you know, Albert grabs a gun. Um, it's it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's wild to think that, like, Albert, of all people, could become, you know, the biggest vengeance panther of them all. But, yeah, I mean, it just, like, the kind of, like, dance between Fuchs and Barry is just, like, it's delicious, right? Like, the the two of them, like, really can't get enough of, like, dig, you know, digging into each other, and um, you know, Fuchs, oh, I mean, some of the realist stuff from Fuchs, this scene with Albert, I mean, I think the the scene where Albert, uh, you know, kind of reveals himself to be Albert, and then the way that Fuchs comes across that realization of like, ah, you're Albert, like that was, I think, some of the like the realest Fuchs without you know any of the other layers of uh, nonsense built on top
0: of it. That being said, I think Fuchs did get a little lucky that Albert was telling the truth about the cameras being off. Because if yeah. that had just been a ruse and Fuchs ends up I- confessing that to Albert, then, like, he is in deep, deep doo-doo for many different reasons.
1: I mean, to some extent. I mean, Albert did say that, like, if you help me, I will help you. So, I mean, maybe Fuchs did essentially take this as an opportunity to make sure that he was getting taken so- taken care of when, um you know, he's really kind of turning the cops against Barry. Um, or, you know, it, it is also, I mean, he does tell, uh, Fuchs right at the top that the cameras are off and maybe that is what convinces Fuchs that he can be open about this stuff with Albert.
0: All right. Big prediction for the finale from the Fuchs storyline. Do Fuchs and Barry see each other in person next episode?
1: I think we do get the show down a face to face. Um, I mean, we know, we know that Barry, um, the The line that is the title of next episode is starting now. And mm-hmm. that is the line that Barry kept saying to Fuchs that he is out starting now, um you know, many times over over the first two seasons. We have not heard him say it this season. Um, I mean, we have to hear him say it at some point. like all of the all of the episode titles get said. Um <laughs> but, you know, i I do wonder whether it's Barry committing to Fuchs starting now. I don't know. That's that's I would say what my hot take prediction is, is that it's not Barry saying once again, I'm out starting now. It's I think we might get an I'm in starting now.
0: Yeah, I think it could be a thing where he does come crawling back to him because literally all the other avenues, be it Sally, be it acting, be it Gene, have now sort of dried up. And he realizes that now he's in a lot of danger, partially because of the people that Fuchs sent after him. I could see him partnering back up. So I agree I think it's got to happen considering that this entire season has had the two of them only talking on the phone and never seeing each other due to like geographic perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing we can bank on for the final episode.
1: Yeah. And they only had that one phone conversation too, if I can remember. And you know, I, I, I think we can't leave this season without seeing them interact face to face. Um, I, I want it to be a, a, you know, a good solid chunk of, the last episode, I think we've seen some some really intriguing conversations um,
0: from Fuchs and from Barry, and I'd like to see one of them together. Well, we shall see what happens next week as Barry season three concludes. Are, are you sad to see it go, Deidre, as we're only one episode away?
1: Yes, I am. I mean, we have season four, you know, confirmed, picked up by HBO. And we know that the scripts are written already. I don't know if production has begun, but I, I sincerely hope it doesn't take another three years to get back to us. I know, you know, we don't have, um, you know, COVID shutdowns to, to contend with this time. But yeah, I mean, I have really enjoyed the last eight weeks. I think this is, you know, a very highly rated season on Roddy Tees, and I think mm-hmm. within good reason. I mean, every single episode I have really enjoyed. Every single episode this season, there really haven't been any duds. Um, I mean, it's just been such great TV. Bill Hader and Alec Berg are doing incredible things with the show. And, I mean, I just... I can't wait to see where it goes next and I'm very impatient and I know that the wait between season 3 and season 4 is going to be very hard but um I you know I know that they're going to leave us wanting more um with something really delicious next week so I can't wait to see what happens next week Um, I'm going to be very impatiently waiting for season four to start after that as well. Um, But yeah, I'm also going to miss talking to you, Mike, every week. It's been so much fun to, um, to co-host this podcast
0: with you. Likewise. So we have one more week. I know this is coming out a bit later than usual because of Deidre's European travels. That will be the case again next week as Deidre will be coming back stateside from her travels. Uh, So this will also come out on Tuesday next week. Apologies for a bit of the delay. But look, it's our last Barry Season 3 podcast. We couldn't not have Deidre on it.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for being so flexible with my crazy travel schedule. Um, yesterday, you know, we certainly intended to record, but I got stuck on a French train that was not moving. And, uh, you know, we had to wait a little bit to get it to you today, but, um, hopefully you still had fun listening to us break this episode down and, you know, the the upside to having an extra day between the finale airing and when we record is you have more time to get feedback into us, y'all.
0: Yes, so please do so. You can always email me, Mike, at postshowrecaps.com. If you're a patron of Post Show Recaps at the 5 or $10 level or 15 or beyond that, you do have access to the Discord where there are also, many activities going on, including conversations going on about Barry. You can put your thoughts in there as you're watching the episode. You can also reach out to us on social media. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Deidre is at D H Lips. So many things going on on Posture Recaps. I guess the the thing that I will pimp out right now is that. I am already setting myself up for what's coming next on HBO, which is Westworld season four, which is premiering on June 26th, two weeks after the Barry finale. And I have been so fortunate to be able to join Josh Wiggler and Joe Garfine, who have been splendidly covering the show since the very beginning on post show recaps for coverage of the new season. In the lead up, we have been re watching and doing podcasts about the first three seasons. At the time this is releasing, our first season podcast is already out there for you to enjoy. I know you probably need the refresher. And
1: enjoy it, you will, because there is a fantastic musical interlude
0: by our very own Mike Bloom. Why, thank you very much. I did study with Gene Cousineau, so I'm very well trained with that mask in particular. So, But if did you study with Gene Cousineau? Oh, that's the thing. I might have to update my resume with the just uh, capitalize the last syllable instead to indicate that he's a different person now kusinau if you Mm -hmm. will so check that out if if you're a fan of westworld i know that i certainly need the refresher considering it aired six years ago in addition to all the other things going on with post show recaps at the moment so that's going to do it this week for the barry podcast next week we're talking about the finale of season three seeing where everything goes until then take care bye-bye and see you